Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Technology. I am your host, Jasmine McNeely. You know, the continued growth of online gaming and virtual worlds has effects not only in the analog world, with games and social media organizations taking stop stock options public, but also in the worlds created online. So many games and platforms allow users to involve themselves in virtual labor, to own property, and most importantly, to make purchases. And this is one of the areas where the analog and the virtual crossover. And the question for the platform providers becomes, how do we capitalize on user interests while earning money? So to help answer this question today, we have Vili Leidon Verza, a research fellow at the Oxford Internet Institute at University of Oxford, and co-author of the new book, Virtual Economies, Design and Analysis, written with Edward Castronova of Indiana University. So, Vili, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Jasmine. So, just as a background, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in, you know, virtual economies. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm uh, I'm from Finland originally, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to play a lot of um, online games, and I even worked as a game programmer for a while during my undergraduate studies. And then when I was looking for a thesis topic for my master's thesis, um, I, I noticed that some people uh, on eBay were trading uh, virtual items from online games for real money. So this was... Um, around 2003-2004. So I noticed that there were people uh, posting uh, things like virtual castles in a fantasy game uh, on eBay and other, and other people bidding on those castles and, and, the, and the castle could be sold for, for hundreds of dollars. And uh, I, I looked into this a little bit and, and, and found that there was very little research on this topic. It was basically just uh, Professor Edward Castronova, who, who I'm very lucky to have as my co-author in mm-hmm. this book today, 10 years later. Um, but that's basically how I got into the whole, whole area. Well, what's your, what are your degrees in? Sure. So my, um, I have a very kind of multidisciplinary background. But basically, I introduced myself as an economic sociologist. Mm-hmm. So economic sociologists are usually interested in the social, technical, and institutional underpinnings of markets. So what makes markets possible and, and, and what shapes uh, markets? And so uh, I'm interested in, from that perspective, you could say that I'm interested in in what uh, are the underpinnings of these online marketplaces for virtual goods that no one before thought that had any uh, actual market value. Okay. And, uh, but, I, but, but I also uh, studied computer science and, and, and business, and so I, I uh, do have a very technical background <laughs> as well. But my doctorate is, is from uh, Turku School of Economics in Finland, mm-hmm. from economic sociology. I also worked briefly at London School of Economics and uh, 
and in Japan at the University of Tokyo and uh, Waseda University, which um, obviously is a very nice place to study games and and gaming. Sure, <laughs> sure. So you have this new book, Virtual Economies: Design and Analysis. Why now? Why virtual economies, design and analysis? Sure. So. What you can see uh, happening right now, or happening for several years already now, is that um, the kinds of virtual economies uh, uh, that you see in online games are increasingly also being embedded into all kinds of uh, digital services. So you have uh, question and answer sites uh, with virtual points that people use to reward each other. You have uh, Reddit gold and, and so on. Um, you have things like uh, Facebook likes and Twitter followers being traded for real money and sort of uh, economies emerging around these kinds of virtual assets. Mm -hmm. And then finally also gaming, very simply gaming as an industry uh, is just keeps on growing. And it's shifting from uh, a model where you buy a box from a shop into a model where you're basically paying for virtual goods and paying for virtual currencies. Mm -hmm. And what we've found talking to um, um, developers, people who build these games and build these services, is that there's a real need for theory and for advice And how do you build these systems. Because it's not obvious when you build a, a system and a marketplace or a virtual currency, you have an idea in your head how you're hoping that users would use it and how it would sort of play out. But often then what happens is once you launch it, it turns that out that the actual uh, end result that results, the equilibrium state, as economists would call it, that results from the interactions of thousands or, or, or even hundreds of thousands of users in your system leads into some completely different unexpected result that you didn't expect. Sure. And basically what we're saying with this book is, look, that you can use the tools of elementary economics to try to uh, predict and, and, and plan your economy before you launch it. So that's the kind of uh, message that we're saying to practitioners that here's a toolbox for you to use if you're building a virtual currency, a game with a virtual economy, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, one of the things that I noted when I was reading uh, your book, you talk about in the beginning um, the movement or progression from just an online community, whether that's, you know, a forum or, you know, question and answer place or a social media site like Twitter or Facebook um, to an economy. So right. how does that progression happen? What is sure. the mechanism for that? Well, you know, let me explain the difference. So economics is, of course, uh, it's a science of scarcity. And, and, and scarcity uh, basically means that something exists in, in lesser quantity than would be required to satisfy all demand for it. Okay. So not everyone can have everything. People have to make choices and prioritize things. And economics basically studies the, uh, um, uh, the patterns and laws that emerge when thousands or millions of people make this kind of give-and-take decisions in interaction with each other, right? So that's economics. But then in the digital world, we're used to thinking that things are not scarce. 
that uh, digital information is abundant. Um, if uh, I see two uh, MP3 files that I'm interested in, I don't have to choose which one I take. I can just download both and share both with my friends as well because bits can be duplicated at zero cost. So there's been this thinking and this very strong emphasis in, in Internet studies to um, basically approach uh, uh, online sites as communities where people's behaviors are explained through more sociological and psychological concepts rather than the laws of economics because because it's been assumed that there isn't really that kind of give and take and scarcity that economics studies. But um, what, what we're seeing is that, uh, as you said, increasingly this kind of artificial scarcities are um, being... Uh, programmed into all kinds of platforms or in some cases they've always been there but they're sort of just being discovered now. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, things like uh, um, the kinds of things I mentioned earlier so things like virtual currencies or points that you can earn uh, for submitting great content or uh, virtual goods that you trade in an online game so people have to increasingly in their online world Kind of content with this kind of um, scarcities, and they have to make choices. How many points do I have? What is it? What can I afford? And and, and these things constrain people's actions in various ways. So what we're saying is that it's no longer sufficient to just analyze um, the online world through the lenses of community and, and identity and networks, but increasingly, in many places, you also have to think about the patterns of give and take and, and, and sort of laws of economics. And, and the sociological and perhaps anthropological portions are not um, mutually exclusive with the economic absolutely. portion. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this is obviously, I'm an economic sociologist. Mm. I'm not an economist. My co-author, Professor Castronova, he's an economist. Mm -hmm. And this book is very much um, a sort of, uh, application of elementary economics with uh, due regard also for the limitations of those models and theories. And, and very essentially also what this book is, it's an attempt to show where and how you can apply um, economic theory fruitfully and where also where you're going to go wrong if you attempt to to apply economic theory. So we have examples in the in the book where if you take a situation um, like a virtual economy inside an online game mm -hmm. and you bring our straw man, what we call the textbook economist, who is a sort of our straw man, a sort of very uh, um, uptight economist who, who takes economic theory literally and, and, and applies it literally. So we show in the book how if you take an online game and you try to apply economic theory literally into it, you actually end up with a very poor understanding of what's going on and you end up giving very bad advice that will not help the game designers at all, on the contrary. So what we show is that when you uh, change your approach a little bit, and instead of focusing on 
only on efficiency, which is what um, economists often think of when they're trying to uh, design a market system, for example. You, you also think about things like social interaction and engagement. How do I facilitate, help people come together? Mm-hmm. How, to, how, do I, how do I make the economy act as a social glue that keeps the community together and, and provides them with um, something to do and, and, and um, makes them interdependent. When you start looking at, at it from that angle, then you can actually uh, very fruitfully apply uh, very standard economic theory. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, one of the things you just said is that um, increasingly economies or economic uh, type of things are being embedded into all kinds of online services and, and That's right. mobile services. And I'm just wa- thinking about one of the buzzwords for the past couple of years is the idea of gamification. Right. And, and I'm wondering, are um, did one come first or <laughs> uh, is gamification a, as a result of this kind of uh, increase in economics or is... Uh, the increase in virtual economies and those type of things a result of gamification? Uh, that's a good question. So obviously gamification is a, is a hot buzzword. In some ways, perhaps past its peak in the hype cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly um, in, in the kinds of gamification that, that people uh, are um, proposing and, and, and advertising their elements of sort of economic design there as well. Um, in strictly historical terms, I think uh, the idea of, of building kind of economic models into online services came first, mm-hmm. and then later some applications of that were branded as gamification, if that makes any difference. Um, but um, I would like to draw a slight distinction between a kind of manipulation of users mm-hmm. through gamification uh, and the, the kinds of things that people uh, often try to do with uh, when they design a market into an online service. Because um, gamification, often we are, uh, we, at least the way it's often understood, is that it's kind of attempt to manipulate the user into behaving in a way that's useful for the firm, but it's not clear how beneficial it may be to the user themselves. Sure. Whereas often when you're designing a virtual economy, actually what you're asking is how do I uh, help coordinate these people? How do I help these people work together and coordinate amongst themselves? Mm -hmm. So you provide a framework, for example, for... Uh, a site like Reddit to, um, to 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 reward good contributions and help help really the um, site deliver what it's supposed to be uh, delivering, or um, on social media when you create artificially scarce assets like likes, for example, which sure. if you think about them, they're, they're you know they're artificially scarce in the sense that we could give everyone 1 million likes. It wouldn't cost anything to Facebook if they gave everyone 1 million likes, but then they would completely lose their meaning. Um, so they've designed this kind of economy of likes into it, uh, a scarcity of likes into it in order to um, help good content bubble to the top and so on. Sure. And, and in online games, often what the point of the whole economy is just to be a fun 
thing for people to do, right? It's fun to engage in trading. It's fun to uh, speculate about uh, what might happen in the uh, future prices of, of things and so on. Sure, sure. Now, um, one of the things that I, I find interesting and, and really good about the book is that you have a lot of examples, uh, examples that people can relate to. So you go all the way back to ICQ and right. the example right. of ICQ and the selling of ICQ numbers uh, or identifiers um, and then taking those into the present time and how people can relate to those things. And I was wondering, like, how much research that took to, to look back at these older platforms that people aren't even using yes. anymore. Yes. Um, well, the kind of, you know, where this book comes from is my and, and Ted's past 10 years and Ted's case, more than 10 years of research, um, and study and, and, and also some consulting, mm-hmm. um, in with these topics, with virtual economies. So a lot of the stuff like the ICQ, uh, stuff, it's, um, grounded in my own uh, experiences a long time ago. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've accumulated this, this large treasure trove of cases and examples that really illustrate some of the points that we're making in, the, in interesting and fun ways over a period of 10 years. And so we're now selectively exposing some of the ones that we felt that, that were um, the most interesting and, and illustrative and in many cases the most fun um, as well. Sure. And I'm glad glad to hear that you found the examples enjoyable. <laughs> well, you know, I said I saw the ICQ one and I was like, ah, I remember ICQ. Oh, yeah. Such yeah. a long time ago. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, but can you imagine there's still people using it? And I went last year when, I, when we were finalizing the book, I went to eBay and I checked, people were still selling ICQ numbers. Wow. On eBay. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy an ICQ number on eBay today for some, for, you know, five to ten dollars for an excellent, uh, a short and notable number. Wow. wow. Like your personal, uh, vanity car license. <laughs> now, one of the things you talk about, and, and one of the other things I admire about this book is it's very international. There's no, um, very set, uh, perspective. Um, concerning any of the economies. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the rise in virtual currency. Um, yes. Obviously, on public conscience is Bitcoin, but there have been other virtual um, or online currencies that have been around for That's a while. Right. Uh, like yes. M-Pesa and, and those right. kinds of yes. things. So just wanted your, your opinion on that with respect sure. to your book. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for noting that the, the, the book has an international outlook. Um, I've, you know, very consciously tried to maintain that, mm-hmm. and obviously, to some extent, it re- it reflects my own uh, uh, research history, having having worked in uh, well two different continents and done field research in three different continents, um, and uh, I, I think it it's absolutely crucial also to have that perspective because um, a lot of the innovation in this area, as you pointed out, it happens outside our little uh, sort of North Atlantic bubble, at least the one that I live in right now. I live in the North Atlantic bubble mm-hmm. uh, here in the United Kingdom. And um, M-Pesa is an excellent 
contemporary example. Uh, but then in the book, obviously, we talk about a virtual currency called Tencent Q, Tencent QQ's QCoin. Right. And it's indeed very relevant today now as people are talking about Bitcoin. And we do talk about Bitcoin as well a little bit in the book. Mm-hmm. But um, um, what these, this shows is that there there's already a, a long history of um, virtual currencies around the world. And even though technically they're all different, and certainly Bitcoin is very different from what has come before. It's very uh, clever, uh, ingenious design. But many of the issues that Bitcoin is now dealing with have already been encountered um, in previous uh, attempts to build a virtual currency or, or virtual currencies that have emerged spontaneously. So, for example, the way the Chinese government has handled Bitcoin um, parallels exactly the way they handled the Qcoin and mm-hmm. continues to handle the Qcoin, which uh, emerged already almost 10 years ago. So there's certainly learnings that one can take from there. Okay. Okay. Now, the question becomes for design game designers or virtual world or social media designers is, is the rise of a virtual economy on any platform, is it inevitable? It's huh. a good question. I don't think it's inevi- inevitable at all. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it depends on sort of where you draw the line when you define a virtual economy. Ultimately, um, human attention is, of course, always a scarce resource. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you build a completely open platform, where there's no sort of attempts to uh, uh, shape or constrain things in any sort of way, that attention is probably um, allocated in not very optimal ways. People are not seeing the content they want to see or should be seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we discussed this a little bit in the book, the question of how do you allocate attention. But... Um, then what you can do, what obviously many services today do, is that they start building into the platform all kinds of methods of trying to allocate attention. So you have um, uh, sort of popular content um, come up on the top, and you have uh, user ratings and, and so on. And then you're starting to emerge, then you're starting to kind of get closer to the territory where you can talk about a virtual economy. Um, but really where, where it really becomes a virtual economy under our definition is when you start having some kind of transferable markers, um, you know, whether they be virtual goods or currencies or something that people that can be used to reward users, can be used to allocate attention, can be used to allocate resources. And um, I think you'll find that many of the the most popular and biggest uh, online platforms, once they reach that stage where the volume of uh, information and contributions is just uh, huge, they, uh, in many cases, find that they need to build in some kind of scarcity into the system, some kind of um, scarce markers. And then we can, st- then that really is, is a virtual economy in some ways. Mm-hmm. 
But then, of course, also, I suppose one, um, uh, the other side of your question is, is it inevitable that a virtual economy kind of uh, emerges in a spontaneously, un in an unintended way? Mm -hmm. Because, of course, we talk about two different kinds of virtual economies in the book. We talk about kinds which a designer consciously designs in order to, to uh, incentivize contributions or to f provide a fun activity uh, for the players of a game. But we also talk about, uh, like the ICQ example, we talk about virtual economies that emerged um, uh, spontaneously, inadvertently. So, of course, the IC, in the ICQ example, we talk about how people started trading ICQ numbers because some numbers were more desirable than others. You know, mm -hmm. it's cool to have a number that says one 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 one. Makes you know, it's like a vanity car license plate. And, and 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 an economy emerged around that where people started uh, producing these numbers and and, and uh, allocating them and, and and finally buying them for real money. Um, so we talk about both types, and um, it's not inevitable that this kind of a um, uh, spontaneous virtual economy will emerge on your platform, but there are certain uh, very predictable circumstances in which it is very likely that one will emerge. Mm -hmm. So what we tell basically in the book is, look, if your system that you're building, if it has these features, don't be surprised if actually a virtual economy <laughs> emerges without you intending it to emerge. And once it emerges, it's also very hard to sort of battle against the market forces. So there's many stories about how designers then try to fix things and to make changes in the design to kind of stamp out this unwanted trading. Mm -hmm. And uh, in cases where the, the trading is harmful to the purposes of the system. Uh, and uh, we also talk about that. What are the, the economists' kind of uh, recipes for dealing with uh, what we call secondary market trade and, and negative externalities? Mm -hmm. And we tell, well, we discuss cases of how those have been and could be applied to digital services, especially to online games. We mostly talk about this in the in the context of um, this this kind of real money trading of online game items. Uh -huh. Now, are there negatives to either um, cre the, the formal creation of a virtual economy or virtual economies um, or slash the, you know, spontaneous uh, creation of a virtual economy? Are there, are there drawbacks uh to that happening? Yes, absolutely. So the uh, spontaneous emergence of a virtual economy, that's easier to uh, comment on because so often what, you, often what happens is that you have some uh, a virtual resource which is by design um, artificially scarce. Mm -hmm. So either it's some really cool uh, items in an online game which only those players who have read, you know, who have killed the main boss are intended to have. So they're intended to act as kind of um, signals that this player is a really um, a accomplished player. All right? Or uh, in Facebook, likes are intended to signify that um, 
a particular brand or artist is is popular, and therefore the the number of likes is artificially uh, uh, limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, because they're valuable to the owner, because having that virtual uh, marker enhances your status, enhances your social standing. It can even give you uh, very concrete financial benefits if you're a brand. Because of that, um, there is an incentive to try to then obtain these virtual assets via other means, right? So then people start trading them. Someone, you can go today, you can go online and you can buy uh, a thousand Facebook likes Mm -hmm. for a few dollars. And, And obviously how that's done is that some um, someone has either set up a, a farm of fake accounts on Facebook that will, upon instruction, like your your brand, or um, someone has set up a network of uh, th- tens of thousands of people in Southeast Asia who are happy for a very small payment to uh, like your brand. And in the same way, in online games, what, what I studied a lot is how um, this kind of professional gamers often also in, in low-income countries, will um, produce the, uh, the items for you. They'll play the game for you. And they're on a market, they will sell you that item. Mm. And so what happens when this market emerges, you ask, like, what is the downside from that? What is the negative side? What happens is that the uh, marker or virtual good, as we call it, it loses its signal value. Because as soon as you know that that marker might have actually just been purchased, that it might not represent an actual achievement on the part of the, uh, its owner, it loses its signal value. It loses its meaning, basically. And this is a situation that uh, in many, many services you really need to avoid. Mm-hmm. And for this reason, many, many services people are trying to find ways to block these kind of markets from emerging. And we're, we'll discuss ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. And then to address the second part of your question, what are the potential negatives from um, kind of building a virtual economy consciously into your uh, design? Well, here, here I need to point out that virtual economy doesn't, of course, have to involve real money at all. Mm-hmm. It can be a completely virtual exchange of uh, Virtual goods for virtual goods. The main point is that there's something that's artificially scarce, and that's being kind of exchanged and traded and and and, and produced and consumed. So that's a virtual economy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the potential negatives? It really depends on the application in question. But in very general terms, we can of course um, refer to um, the uh, the important finding in motivational psychology by uh, Edward D.C. about um, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. That if you try to motivate people with extrinsic rewards, like giving the virtual points as a reward for uh, posting content on your site or for um, showing up in your game, like many game developers now do, is that simply by showing up in the game every day, you get rewarded 500 points or something that you can use to purchase things. If you reward people with this kind of extrinsic rewards, there is a danger that you will crowd out their intrinsic interest Mm -hmm. in doing whatever it was that they were doing. So this is, on a very sort of general level, 
one of the potential downsides uh, of designing a virtual economy into a system. And then there's many, but besides that, there's many, many, many little pitfalls and, and gotchas. Um, and that's what we talk about a lot in the book. So if, you know, if you do decide I'm going to build some kind of a market or economy into my system, there's many ways in which you can, you can do that wrong, right? <laughs> and it can result in simply some unintended consequence. Yes. Yeah. Now the book is very comprehensive. I mean, you all well, thank go you. from you know brief introduction to you know theories of human behavior and, and basic economics, all the way to policy making. Um, That's right. As well as what's the whole point of um, you know creating a virtual world and why the real world needs this. So, what is it that you hope that uh, readers and you know? you know, game developers or whoever takes from your book? Well, we have uh, basically three different audiences, you could say. So the main audience is the, the digital developers, especially game developers, but also other digital developers and designers. And um, I hope that they what they will take from the book is a powerful uh, set of tools from elementary economics that will help them design better online services and better games that um, do what they intend them to do. Because the problem is, in design, you need to know what are the consequences of your design choices. Mm -hmm. If I create, let's say I'm creating a marketplace for points, do I make it an auction-style market, or do I make it a sort of bazaar, or do I uh, make it a, um, a more like a stock exchange-style thing? All of these things have different implications for user behavior and, and what, what, will, what is likely to happen in the system. And if you don't know what those likely consequences are, how can you make informed design decisions? Mm -hmm. So that's basically what I hope that the practitioners, that the developers will take out of this book. Then our second audience is scholars. Um, not just economists, but all social scientists and also communication um, uh, students of communication and culture and media who uh, are interested in digital media. And to them, um, what we hope that they take away from this book is that they see that um, these art virtual economies of artificially scarce markers are shaping and constraining people's behavior in the digital media in many uh, ways and, and, and uh, sometimes in, in, in rather unobvious and, and hidden ways. Mm -hmm. So I hope what they will take from this is a sort of appreciation for the fact that these virtual economies do influence digital media in important ways because they influence who has power uh, in these platforms, who has voice, um, who's, uh, what kind of behavior is rewarded, mm -hmm. and what kind of participation is valued, basically. And so, to the scholars of digital media, we basically want to say that uh, understanding uh, virtual economies adds a crucial dimension to the understanding of um, uh, social issues in digital media. Uh -huh. And then the, the third and final uh, audience is policymakers. 
So uh, people who make, um, on one hand, uh, policy for uh, internet and, and digital markets, but also economic policy makers. And to them, we're on one hand, we're, we're kind of trying to show how these virtual economies work and, and what are the sort of um, uh, potential sort of ways in which, for example, consumers could be could get the short end of the stick there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are the need? What is the need for regulation here, if any? Um, and we're also arguing against uh, some some um, kind of ineffective, unhelpful forms of, of intervention in, in this kind of markets. But also, we're hoping to inspire with the final chapter why the real world needs virtual economy design. We're hoping to inspire a little bit of debate about could economic policy be done in some ways differently? Could we regard some of the economic institutions in our society uh, in a slightly different way mm-hmm. uh, if we look at them through the perspective of virtual economy design? Okay. Now, if we want to read more from you, um after we've gotten our book, right? We want to read yes. more from you. Do you have a website? Are you on Twitter? Those guys. Yes, things. absolutely. So I'm on Twitter as Vilile. That's V-I-L-I-L-E. V-I-L-I-L-E. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm tweeting about uh, uh, all kinds of things related to uh, online markets, virtual economies, virtual goods, mm-hmm. and games, and so on. Um, and also about virtual work, uh, virtual labor, uh, so on. And uh, I do have a website, yes. It's uh, myfirstname.lastname.com. Uh-huh. So com. And I do have a, a bunch of papers there um, on uh, virtual goods and, and, and virtual work. But really, in many ways, this book now represents the uh, sort of synthesis and, mm-hmm. and culmination of, of all my work so far. So I do encourage you to read the book. And he has a lot, a lot of original material that's not in any of my papers or anywhere, anywhere else in the, the, the web or, or indeed in any book. Okay. Now, what's next for you? Good question. So <laughs> right now, my ongoing research is focusing more on marketplaces for online work. Hmm. So um, things like paid crowdsourcing sites and e-lancing sites. And in the same way as in this book, we're dealing with the, the social, technical and institutional underpinnings of markets for virtual goods and currencies and, and likes and followers. In the same way, I'm looking at the underpinnings of these marketplaces for virtual work and what kind of what, what do they mean for society? Um, and uh, in a very modest way, trying to address the question of future of work. Absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you, Vili, for for coming on the show today. Everyone, this has been Virtual Economies, Design and Analysis. This has been New Books and Technology. Thank you for listening.